Many greetings. Welcome to uh, Thursday Night Appetizer. Sam has a little coffee. It was really close to the camera. Did you see that? I did. Um, today behind us, well, first of all, Thursday Night Appetizer is uh, run by this guy named, say your name. Sam. Are you going to be on your phone? No, I'm just um, working on our recording. I'd like to figure out how to keep this from turning off. Wake lock. Yeah, it's on. Wake lock's on. Okay. All right. And uh, he's Sam. Hey. I'm Charles. Yep. Hi. Thursday Night Appetizer is Sunday's Gospel Applied to Mission. We look at next Sunday's Gospel as you would hear it Slightly in the Catholic Church. Are you? Yeah, you are a little. Because my shirt's a bit green. Yeah. Oh, that's good, though. I like that effect. And I've just got a wife beater on underneath, so can't wear that. You can't say that. Wife beater? Yeah, because it's making fun of white people. No, it's not. Yes, it is. That's just what they're called. It is making fun of white people. <laughs> Aren't you allowed to make fun of white people? No. It was like brown and black people you weren't allowed to make fun of. And yellow and orange people. Orange? And purple people. Um, <laughs> yeah, next Sunday's uh, gospel. You know you don't want around? Those, or those purple people. Purple people? Yeah. Purple became a very popular hair color for, for women. Because of the purple people eaters. One-eyed, one-horn, flying purple people eater. One-eyed, one-horn, flying was purple people eater. Was it a purple people eater or was it a purple people eater? Or was it a purple people eater? Purple person eater. Um, when we descend into nonsense, I start to wonder, why do we ever stop doing the nonsense? Why do we, why do we even well, why get into it? Why do we into... a podcast about like, are we <laughs> random rants about nothing? I don't know. I don't think there's much of a market for that. Well, there's not much of a market for Thursday Night Appetizer either. I mean, but it's growing. I mean, like we could even ask it, like our viewers, like none of your friends watch this. You're alone in your appreciation of Thursday Night Appetizer. <laughs> That's because you have a refined palate. Yeah. Or uh, that's one way of putting it. Quality. Or you're just media. really bored. Or or you care about mission. That's probably not. Oh, look, we froze. Oh, now we disappeared. <laughs> you can still hear us, but it's you can't see us? It's because you yell. It's because you yell. Because I yell? Yeah. That's what happened. What? That's my theory. We disappeared because I yelled. We're not on the camera yet. Yeah, we're coming. It's coming. It's boot up. Oh, yeah. That's weird. I'm not using my usual USB cable. That's from. Does it again? I might have to go find it. So, basically, by yelling... I disconnected the, uh, that's really weird. No, I'm kidding. I don't know why I did that. Okay, but it, it did happen just because he yelled. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Try not to yell as much, okay? All right. So, it is the week of August 1st, and we got a background here for August. That came out on August the 1st on Tuesday, and this is for Sunday the 6th. 6th yep. of August? I believe so. And uh, also happens to coincide with the Feast of the Transfiguration. Referring to an event that's mentioned in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, where Jesus went up a high mountain and shone forth. Yeah, he was like, they, they got a glimpse of, his, of Jesus in his glory, in his heavenly glory, right? And the picture at the back refers to an Old Testament event where this uh, shining cloud led the people as they wandered through the desert. Oh, are you foreshadowing something? The whole Bible is a series of foreshadowings, Old Testament, foreshadowing New Testament. Yeah, you can't really see it because it's behind Charles's giant Bible there, but that's where the Ark of the Covenant is. Right. It's down there. 
Oh, still can't see it. Uh, I think it's actually behind me, but behind my elbow. Is no, it's, it oh, it's, yeah, there it is, right there. Yeah, yeah. that wooden thing. Yeah, that's like it. With the chair, like the, the angel wings on top. There it is. The Ark of the Covenant. There it is. Um, okay, so we're gonna learn about the Ark of the Covenant too. It's uh, implied. Okay. But not stated. Uh, yeah, so the point the point this week is what happens to these three guys who go up the hill with Jesus and all of a sudden, they've known him for a long time, but all of a sudden he looks completely different. He is completely different. They, they see this shining cloud. They hear a voice. What is this all about? So let's start with the word, with just the fact that there's light. It's bright. Interestingly, what is light? God's first creature. The first thing God creates is light. Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, let there be Light. You know what I learned yesterday? What's that? The speed of light is not a constant. The speed of light in a vacuum is a constant. The speed of light is alterable. By? By various various forces acting upon it. Tell me more. No, don't tell. Don't I, I want to know more. I do want to know more. I, I, I'm a little skeptical, but not entirely. No. Because the speed of light in a vacuum is 1.86 times 10 to the 9 okay, meters so per like second. In vacuum the space, it's not constant. Okay. Because when, when there are large forces acting upon it, it uh, changes. By the way, your phone is on top of my cherries. Can you move your phone, please? <laughs> so I can munch away. Anyway, we're not here to talk about that. But I do, I appreciate light very much. I think all of us do. You know, my, my oldest, oh, he won't be watching this. So. My oldest son is still scared of the dark. We know because he'll turn on this lamp by the piano. Piano's in like our sitting room. It's like a living room. Mm-hmm. And there's a lamp on the piano, and he turns it on, and then my wife turns it off, and then he'll turn it back on. My wife turns it off, and he'll turn it back on. This is like all evening, like, hmm. yeah, before he goes to bed. He goes okay. to bed a little later than the other kids. So I just think that's funny. It's not funny. It's I love you, Jesse. You said his name. You identified him. <laughs> but you should get over yourself. Get over it. And, you know, you're a little old to be scared of the dark. Okay. Maybe it's not even him. I don't know. Wouldn't that be funny? It was somebody else. Remember you were saying a few weeks ago about how your... Uh, like we, we don't know who does different things. Well, I was going to say, you mentioned a few weeks ago about how your ducks and uh, geese mysteriously disappeared. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know. There's a lot of mysteries. Well, in life. Yeah, but this is like an actual... This is a weird one. It's very weird. wonder what's happened since that time, which was a few weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, backgrounder. Light, pretty obvious, but it is the first thing God creates. Yeah. Um, his first words are, let there be light. Actually, literally the first word the Bible records that God says, let there be light. Mm. So the image of light is kind of a universal symbol of truth and goodness. In the Bible, it's a special sign of God's presence. We're looking at the book of Ex- something from the book of Exodus there. This uh, tells us that after the people had formed a covenant with God and received the Ten Commandments and built the Ark of the Covenant, there was a cloud that covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So God had come to be with his people. Elijah is taken up to heaven with a fiery chariot. Second Kings chapter two says, as they continued walking and talking, and that's Elijah and his disciple and friend Elisha, a chariot of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them and Elijah ascended in a whirlwind into heaven. So both Moses and Elijah appear with Jesus in the passage we're gonna hear and both of them are associated with this sort of fiery, cloudy, fiery sort of shining cloud that links 
people to God, that brings God's presence, or in Elijah's case, lifts them up to heaven. Well, in, in Moses' case, like uh, Mount Sinai. Burning bush. When, well, not, no, I was thinking Sorry. when he went up to receive the Ten Commandments. Yes. Um, doesn't it say something like the like fire covered the mountain? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? There's like this, like, just like a it's kind of a similar thing to Elijah being taken up in a mm -hmm. chariot of fire. It's like this yeah. fire covered the mountain, whether it was like volcanic or whatever. But like that was like seen as like the presence of God was there because of the fire, right? Mm -hmm. Anyway, continue. All through. Um, but especially because like, Moses and Elijah. connected by this like fire and light. Sure. Right? And then they're both there at the transfiguration. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So this unique moment in Jesus' life is marked to show something about him. That's The point is to show something about Jesus. That's what we're going to hear about. He shines out with divine light, as Sam was saying already, which is a visible sign of his divine identity. He is one with God. The shining uh, cloud reinforces God's presence, especially referring to the Holy Spirit, and the voice of God the Father tells us that Jesus is the beloved Son. So the overwhelming of glory of God is, is almost too much. It kind of is too much for the three men he, Jesus has brought to witness his event. Peter wants to stay on the mountain, but on hearing the Father's voice, they fall down in fear. They're kind of overwhelmed. Many years later, this would be this, the second reading this coming uh, Sunday, Peter writes of this incredible experience, and he says, We had been eyewitnesses of his majesty, that is, for, for uh, we received, for God received, that is, sorry, Jesus received honor and glory from God the Father, when that unique declaration came to him from the majestic glory. This is my son, my beloved, with whom I well pleased. And Peter writes, goes on, in his second letter, chapter 1, We ourselves heard this voice come from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. This is Peter remembering years later the events that we'll hear about in the gospel passage. But Jesus actually tells them not to talk about what, he, what they witnessed until the Son of Man, referring to himself, is raised from the dead. So Jesus has to go through an intense trial his suffering and death on the cross. The, the disciples are given a glimpse of future glory to give them hope as they accompany him in his trials. Remember Moses. Well, he had to, right after this, this shining cloud came and rested with the people, God's presence among them, he led the people through 40 years of wandering in the desert. Elijah faced murderous, the murderous anger of King Ahab and Queen Jezebel was given the same kind of similar sign of hope. Um, so God's glory is offered to all of us who suffer in our earthly wanderings through, through, through our own deserts of suffering and in our confrontation with murderous powers that may come against us. God never promises anyone safety from evil, but we're given hope that all is in his hands and that the love of Jesus will overcome all. Romans chapter 8 says that. Peter goes on to write that we, we possess a prophetic message that is altogether reliable. You will do well to be attentive to it, as to a lamp shining in a dark place. So he's comparing the message of hope to a lamp shining in a dark place, like you're talking about your son. Until day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. This is the message that Christians today must bear to all of the dark places in our community. Mm -hmm. And that's our background for this week. Thanks, Charles. Yep. <clears throat> I invite everyone to bow your heads and pray with me as we are about to read the gospel. The Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. God, we praise and thank you, Lord. You are always amazing us. You are always shining your light into our darkness. Thank you for the gift of light. And thank you, Lord, for illuminating our hearts. Each of us in some way, we feel a call to you, a call to come to the light, to come to you, and to, to banish the darkness in our lives. We surrender to you now. We ask you, Lord, to send your spirit upon us. 
to lead us and guide us through this passage. May our words be your words. Pray, Lord, that you would, uh, we humbly ask you would cooperate with us, allow us to cooperate with you, with your spirit as we um, discuss this passage in scripture. Thank you, Lord, for all of your graces and blessings. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus took, oh, Matthew chapter 17. Jesus took Peter, James, and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, conversing with them. Then Peter said to Jesus and replied, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud cast a shadow over them. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell prostrate and were very much afraid. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and do not be afraid. When the disciples raised their eyes, they saw no one else but Jesus alone. As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, Do not tell the vision to anyone until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Jesus took Peter, James, and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, conversing with him. Then Peter said to Jesus in reply, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud cast a shadow over them. And from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell prostrate and were very much afraid. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise, and do not be afraid. And when the disciples raised their eyes, they saw no one else but Jesus alone. As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, Do not tell the vision to anyone until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. You okay? Oh, I'm sleepy. Ah, I got something. Okay, why don't you start? Jesus alone. Mm. Yeah, he's alone, just like in the middle of this really grand scene. Christ alone. Go ahead, keep going. I don't remember the rest. Oh. He is my strength, my my cornerstone. Is that Matt Mark? That's an old hymn. Okay. In Christ Alone. Yeah. That's what I was thinking about. Well, this is a grand scene, yeah. majestic and like overwhelming for them. But at the end of it, Jesus alone. So why did they even go up the mountain? Like he takes these three men up the mountain with him. Why would you do that? Well, they just know this guy, Jesus. And he says, let's go up the mountain. All this, these crazy things happen. At the end of it, when they look up, it's Jesus alone. Um, and I was thinking about Lord of the Rings reference, which I, I'm hoping you'll help me with, which is, um, is it Gandalf at some point who says it all hangs on like a, a single thread now or something like that? And he's basically referring to, oh, in that, in that book, at the very end, these two relatively feeble um, characters have the 
power of ultimate evil in their hands and they have to destroy it, which is going to be really hard for them because no one ever wants to have that, that destroyed, right? But everything hangs not on the, the might of the, the forces of good, not, on their, not even on their, their wisdom or intelligence at that point, um, but on the feeblest of the characters that are trying to bring about good in the world. Right. And I was thinking about Jesus alone because it's so strange. It's still really strange to me as, as a, someone who's been Catholic as long as I can remember that God who is almighty brings about salvation through his weakness, not his strength. And in fact, it's only by becoming one of us, like Jesus could be alone, just the way that you and I, anyone can be alone, just a guy, but also the son of God, which is what was just revealed. Yeah, Jesus alone, and also that he's so compelling to them that they went up the mountain with him and that they, I mean, of course, at a human level, they're responding to him because he's probably, you know, very compassionate and loving, um, inspiring, great teacher. They also have beliefs, which are, which are some of which are kind of valid about maybe he's the Messiah that was promised in the Old Testament, all this stuff, right? But really, it kind of comes down to this, who he is in himself that, that changes their lives and brings them on this incredible journey, which, you know, they'll, they will have a hard time with themselves. Anyway, that was my thing, Jesus alone. Cool. Soda stream? Soda stream. What flavor? Um, lemonade. Hmm. I was thinking about white as light. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just, there's so many, like, um, <clears throat> so many symbols here of, like, goodness and holiness and might. Like, you mentioned that uh, light was the first thing that got created out of darkness, right? Yeah. And I was just thinking about how light, we take, we really take light for granted in our world now. Um, like, I was thinking back to, like, 100 years ago. Even like less than 100 years ago, sure, 80 years ago, um, my farm where I lived didn't have electricity mm -hmm. about 80 years ago. And um, they only got like indoor plumbing in like 67 or something like that. Like my dad was 10, basically, when they got indoor plumbing. Um, they had electricity before that, but it was very limited. And um, if you go back even further, I mean, they, they use like lamps and candles and things like that to light to, to create light and, yep. and darkness was an enemy that had to be conquered because well for obvious reasons like when when things were dark you were like insecure you couldn't see what was coming you couldn't defend yourself um so they would they would fight the darkness by lighting a lighting a candle or lighting lighting a lamp or something mm -hmm. like that and for all of human history like there's been this battle against darkness i was just thinking like light is like a sign of victory yeah right you like you conquer the darkness when you light when it's dark out and you light a light. Mm -hmm. um, but we take it so for granted now that we just flip switches. And it's funny, uh, you know, when the power goes out and you, you still walk around turning light switches on? Oh, yeah, yeah. You do that? Yeah. Just by memory? like Sure. And oh, oh, it doesn't work. I forgot the power's out. Because we take it so for granted um, that we have, you know, kind of conquered the darkness. Um, yeah. And I just thought um, light here is like Jesus, the metaphor for like Jesus conquering the darkness. Mm -hmm. the, the darkness of sin, the darkness of our, the dark places in our lives, right? I know when we're talking about Jesus in, in church circles, we might refer to like the darkness as like this kind of like hidden sinful place where the light of Christ has not yet reached us, mm -hmm. right? We all have darkness in our souls. 
in our life that that isn't quite the light of Christ hasn't quite reached it yet. Um, I'm just thinking about all those things when I'm reading this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Another thing I was thinking about was the three tents that uh, Peter offered to build. Yep. And it just reminded me of a, a theme that came up at our, we had a retreat um, a couple months ago. Er, in the, early July. In, in June, back in June. Oh, okay. We had a retreat with uh, the, some of the people involved in in the evangelization ministry. Oh, that retreat, that sorry. Retreat yeah, yeah. June, June 22nd. And one of the themes that came up at that retreat was um, this idea of like the church being a field hospital. It's like a place where like it's near the front line that takes like the, the mm-hmm. injured and the wounded and ministers to them or like treats them, triages them. And how the church can't be too, can't get too settled in its place. It has to be like able to move. It has to be flexible enough to meet the needs of people mm-hmm. as they change and as they like evolve in in all of history. Yeah. Right. Um, that's that's like that's where the missionary spirit kind of comes from. I think is like um, always looking for ways that the gospel, where, places where the gospel is needed, and ways in which it can be preached to different people at different times mm-hmm. throughout history. Right? But the constant is this dynamic between light and darkness. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I was just thinking like, like, um, Peter's first impulse was to like make permanent this moment. Sure. Like to take what was happening and make it permanent. Like I, I want to stay like, I want us to stay like this forever, basically, or at least for a while. Like he wanted to like stretch it out. Like, oh, this is great. Good thing we're here. Cause we can make this like permanent. We can build tents, Right. And we can stay here on the mountain with you and Moses and Elijah, you know, um, and I just think it's funny, like at that moment, um, that's when the cloud comes and brightens them. What's yeah, which reminds me, he was still speaking. Sure, right. The, the the cloud is the manifestation of the spirit and the voice of the Father. So you got they're getting like a full experience of God's presence mysteriously appearing. Well, like a full arc Jesus. of the covenant, like behind us. Right, right. A full arc of the covenant experience. Yeah, the, the cloud by day and the or fire by night or whatever mm-hmm. it was, right. Yep, yeah. pillar of cloud by day, shining fire by night. Mm-hmm. Pillar of fire by night. Um, one of the things I was thinking about is how Jesus, this is amazing to me, in some sense, well, Philippians 2 said he humbled himself, which means accepting our human condition, which is separated from, from God. He entered that condition. Like that. going back to that Jesus alone. He actually didn't pretend to be. He actually became one of us. And in fact, he didn't stop being human. Um, once he was human. He, didn't, no, he never stopped being human. He's still human. That's right. To this day. Meaning he has a human nature. Mm-hmm. Um, he also didn't a stop. human body. Yeah. He, that's, that's pretty he mysterious. Still has, he still has the wounds. Right. So. Of the crucifixion. The thing, the thing that Jesus did, uh, I think it's in John, after the resurrection, um, he appears to them and he, and he says, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. So they want to stay close to him, which makes sense. He just rose from the risen from the dead, and he said, "No, I'm I'm actually sending you, meaning sending you away from me." Uh, and just just because he himself is one who left the perfection of of God, Father, Son, and Spirit, left that community of perfect love and light, and actually went out into the darkness. Mm-hmm. That that's actually darkness being our our broken humanity, right? Now he wants them to do the same thing. That's right. He says, "You can't always be around me, around the light." Yeah. Or around the fire, or whatever. I want to send you out mm-hmm. to bring light into the darkness. You said that in your background. Right? Yeah, 
I think that this is like, there are a couple of, I guess I'd say being on mission or not being on mission. There are different temptations. Like one is to believe yourself because you are focusing your life on God through prayer, devotion, worship, study, etc. that that's where you need to be. Um, and I think that is really missing what Jesus is saying to the disciples in this passage, which is time for us to go. He's got a, he's got a journey. His own he calls it even in in another uh, the Gospels refers to it as his exodus, just like Moses led the people out into freedom. Ark of the Covenant uh, was built after that, and so forth. But but Jesus has to leave. They have to leave. They have to go out. Um, and the other thing I think that's that is a potential danger is. If you go out to help people, to minister to them, to serve them, even to tell them about Jesus, but you're doing it on your own strength. And I think that actually, I've seen that, I believe, harm people when they think they can just go out and help others um, without allowing that themselves to be rooted in, in Jesus. I don't know. So there's both, I could see both happening. I've seen both happening. Yeah. Um, have you seen that happen? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a really strong temptation just to like hunker down and sort of like Peter did mm -hmm. um, to, to want that, that uh, closeness with Jesus to always be there. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, it's, I think it's just natural. It's like we, we do that in so many ways in our lives. When we, when we find something good, something that makes us both feel good, but like sort of fulfills us or whatever, we like, latch onto it and we want to like repeat it over and over again mm -hmm. or like just like live in that moment that's very very common sure like even just in people that relive some moment in their past right that they think was like the moment that they they, they wish they wish their life was like that all the time mm -hmm. you know like whether it was like some i don't know gl the glory days or some some sports team they were part of or sure um you know some dance back in high school or just like you know, just throwing things out there but you know what I mean? I do. Like, I, like, just like that was it. That was that was the the pinnacle, and everything else. Like, you're kind of trying to compare to that and trying to get back mm -hmm. there. And um, the problem with the spiritual life, if you think of it that way, um, is that it's kind of inverse to that. Like, I, I was thinking, there's a verse in the New Testament about spiritual milk. Yeah, Paul writes about like, this. Paul says that, like, at like at certain times in your spiritual life, God basically goes easy on you. Gives you like spiritual milk, which is easy to digest for babies, gets all the nutrients they need. But eventually, you need solid food. Mm -hmm. St. Paul says that, and um, and many of the saints have written about that. Like, like uh, God, God makes it sort of easy on us early in our spiritual life, but then it can get harder, right? You know what I'm thinking about? Even um, the greatest saints in the Catholic tradition who were known as mystics, like. John of the Cross and Teresa of Avila, who knew each other, they were they lived, I think, in the 1500s, and they were uh, part of the Carmelite movement. At that point, that whole Carmelite movement, there was a community of men and a community of women. They were very lax and even corrupt. And Teresa, in particular, with John's help, were bringing about a big renewal and reformation of, within that movement itself uh, to make them once more more faithful to Jesus and to live out their promises, which were to live like Jesus, a life of poverty, chastity, and obedience. Um, and so they were both great reformers and renewers of their tradition, calling people back to Christ, but also they had their own intense interior prayer life. And I actually want to speak up for that side of it too. And they suffered a lot. They definitely suffered a lot. Persecution from their 
brothers and sisters in the in their in their own religious also, movements. Not just that though. Also, like, like I know I, I remember reading this about John of the Cross. So like this, like darkness that God allows right. in a person's soul right. in order to help them grow closer to Him. It seems counterproductive. Mm -hmm. And when we're going through that, we may feel like God, where are you? Why can yeah. why are my prayers not? Why do I not feel as close to you as I always did? Yes, right. I hear that a lot. People tell me that a lot. Do uh, John called that the dark night of he the soul. He called it the dark night. I don't know if what they're. I'm not like a spiritual director or anything. Mm -hmm. But I do know that um, if we're going to progress in our relationship with God, then we are going to find there are times like that where it's like I'm not even sure I'm doing the right thing mm -hmm. anymore. And then the temptation is to like to go back, basically to go back to the, to the milk. Which is why I like Peter in particular. I quoted the second reading this coming Sunday will be from his second letter. He's looking back and he's been through so much, right? He especially, you know, I'm sure he never forgot that he denied Jesus himself three times the night he was arrested. When Jesus was in the greatest darkness and Peter was there as his, as his appointed leader for, the, for his people, for his followers, that's when he denied him three times. And Peter will never forget that. That's when the darkness was the greatest and Peter said yes to the darkness. In that moment, in his own way, he did not betray Jesus. Judas did, but he denied him three times. Um, but he can look back on this whole. I think he looks back on his life up on the mountain there with Jesus um, when he denied him, when Jesus when he met him again. He looks. He can look back and say, "I was there. I saw the light shining forth from Jesus. I saw the shining cloud. I heard the voice. We were there. We actually witnessed His glory and majesty." And he says. And now we have this prophetic message. A prophetic message is a message not for themselves, but for others, which is that there's going to be this, this light that's going to shine in your hearts when you say yes to Jesus. I have a goofy grin on my face. You do. What are you thinking about? Anything? <laughs> yeah. What do we yeah. think about? Well, I'm just thinking about um, humans always want to institutionalize good stuff. Okay, is that fair to say? Yes. Like whenever we find something that works and is good, we're like, let's institutionalize this. Mm -hmm. At first, it's so that everybody can benefit from what we've discovered. Sure. Right. Like, I'm just thinking of the Carmelites. Like, like they were right. They they're in they're in order, um, men and women that devote their lives basically to prayer. Yep. Um, and and very simple acts of service. Generally, like a simple apostolate. An apostolate is what orders do their their mission if you will um and they became an institution mm -hmm. which is sort of our natural tendency and i'm not saying institutions are always bad they're not bad but they tend to go through this cycle where they start out being like like the institution is is there to serve people and to mm -hmm. serve the members and and is really like meant to like make it possible for for that good thing to carry on but eventually it becomes sort of like a god that we like it, we then we we instead of it serving us we begin we begin serving it and i was just thinking about the carmelites like that they fell into that many orders do that they go through this kind of a cycle and the church always has this temptation to like just to 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 build tents and then to stay there right even though like everything else around us might be like oh no this isn't working anymore we need to change we need to like Stay flexible or whatever. They're like, nope, we're staying here on the mountain. <laughs> okay, so Sam, we can look at the Carmelites. No, no, I'm look, I'm, I'm looking at you. Oh, okay. You're an institution. Well, what a compliment. I don't even know what you mean by that. Well, you've been around for years. I'm an institution. You are. 
I belong in an institution. Cha-ching. You what? I belong in an institution. Oh, that's true. That's a whole different thing. <laughs> no, but you are an institution. I mean, being I a, know. But, but I was going to say myself as well. Deacons, like, if you want a more, you can't find a more institutional role in the Catholic Church than being a deacon. Yeah. They were reinstituted, reinstituted in, in a widespread way around the year 1970, selectively brought in. So I became a deacon in 2006. I was ordained, which is a great gift. But it is like a relatively, it's a, it's a return to something that was there in the early church in a more widespread way. But it's a very institutional role. Yep. And what's interesting, and I, I, I can be critical of deacons. Why but you call me an institution? I hadn't, I'm not ordained. Oh, I mean, everybody knows Sam. You have a, you're locally an institution in this parish, in yeah. in Gray and Bruce. Like a piece of the furniture. You are. It would be easy for you like to like a sofa. Yeah, like slightly creaky but comfortable. Yeah, familiar. Familiar. That's a, That's true. And and the temptations there for me too. I wasn't trying to excuse myself. I know. I I love to, you know, hunker down and, you know, build tents or whatever. Well, yeah, put up like, some tents. Like I'm the same way. When something works well, I just I want to I want to do that until the end of time. Yeah. And not not be flexible and not be listening to the Holy Spirit. So go ahead. What were you getting? So what what has helped you not like? Okay, I'll I'll say something and I'll I'll ask you. What what I've run into this is this sort of idea that we need the institutional aspect of the church, which is identified with the person of Peter. Peter being the first leader after Jesus left, uh, gave him the keys of the kingdom, uh, told, told him to strengthen his brother's faith. Um, and there's a whole institutional apparatus in the Catholic Church that is actually constant, that doesn't change. There, there's a pope, the Bishop of Rome, there are other bishops in communion with him, there are priests, there are deacons, there's a whole structure of liturgy and worship, all kinds of institutional realities that we actually believe are a gift from God, like the sacraments mm-hmm. in particular. Um, so th- there are there's the, the elements that are like the structural, you need them. I've heard them compared to the skeleton of a body if a human body didn't have a skeleton, we'd just be like a puddle on the floor. Yeah, a big like glob. Right. On the other hand, um, this one writer who's quoted by Pope John Paul refers to the the living church, like the the living part of our body that actually makes us alive. As the um, the, the the aspect of the church is identified, he identifies with Mary, the mother of Jesus. You got Mary and Peter. Mary is not institutional per se. Um, she receives the Holy Spirit, says yes, conceives Jesus, and she's, she's constantly present with the disciples through their journeys onward, after, even after Jesus leaves. She's praying with them at the day of Pentecost. So there's this, there's this, I like about being Catholic, which is different than being maybe in some more Protestant Pentecostal communities, for instance, or of Christians. It's, it's dynamic, but we also have this, this anchoring aspect. We, got, we have both, which I find... Stability. You know, and people often have said this to me when I've talked about mission. They also said, well, people, when, you're, when you go on mission, you go to people in dark places, they need a place of light to come to. Yeah, and you do too. Right. You need a place to go and recharge. You need that stability. Sure. That rock, that yeah. foundation to go back to. Okay. Yeah. Not, so I'm thinking about people I know, and I've met a few over the years, and I'm, I'm in danger of that. I don't know about you, but maybe you as well. At times, people try to do too much for Jesus and go on mission and then burn out. Oh, yeah. And the way I remember talking to this Franciscan priest years ago, and he used to say, we need intimacy with Jesus before we can do what he wants us to do. But I would add, and he would, I'm sure would have agreed, 
when you know him intimately, when he's when you're close to Jesus, then you then then you are empowered, as it were, to do things for him. You can you can go on that mission to, of taking the light into the darkness, like like Peter did. But you can there's a danger of people. The common term would be burning out. Yep, the church is kind of like an aircraft carrier, or a field hospital, or an aircraft carrier. How is it like an aircraft carrier? All the planes take off. They fly from the aircraft carrier. Mm -hmm. They perform their mission. They go too far. Then they run out of fuel and they don't make it back to the aircraft carrier. Sure. Right? Like we always have to keep going back and refueling. That's what I was thinking about. Mm -hmm. um, well, a field hospital has a structure. Yep. Like you, have to, you need to know that what the doctors, the doctors need to know that the... The thing about the field hospital is it's sort of more like the mission part of the church, yeah. the fleshy part of the church. The field hospital still depends on a real hospital, right? right? That supply it's not chains. a real hospital, and a and a supply chain coming. Sure. So it that's actually the church. The whole is back one mm. is back a level. The field hospital is sort of the the church on mission. The church on mission, right? Which gets its strength and its stability and its supply from the the church. And the other thing See is, I mean? we're going back to this. Uh, we watch this. Um, I watched a story when I was a kid, MASH, oh, yeah. Mobile Army Surgical Hospital. We've talked about that before on Thursday Night Appetizer. Um, <laughs> when someone is recovering after surgery in a field hospital, they need to go back behind the front lines to a place of sanctuary, a place that's behind the battle yeah. lines, to get better. That's not not being shelled. Right. Where there aren't stray bullets flying everywhere and things like yeah. that. It has to be relatively safe. Um, but, the, but the thing about it is it's always moving and always ready to move. The, the mobile field hospital. Field hospital. Like, like it can be packed up and sure. Like let's say something changes and they're like, oh, the, the we've defeated the enemy over there. Now we're we're on the this front. Field hospital will move. They they pack the whole thing up in like five hours or something. Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah, that's right. And that's what I think of the the, the mission mm -hmm. part mission part. Yeah. Of the church is it's like flexible in a way that the institution of the church isn't. Like we still need, I think we still need church buildings, for instance, mm -hmm. right? Like Holy Family here is a building, um, Karlsruhe, that big, beautiful church in Karlsruhe is a building. So there's parts of the church that are that need to stay static for a reason. Mm -hmm. But we need that other part of the church, which is flexible, which can can morph and change to the needs of the community or wherever it's needed, it can go. Sure. Right? I just was, I don't know, like that's what we're trying to do with Unify. For sure. Well, if you think about what light does, going back to the image of light, which is the first thing I, I was right. mentioning, no matter what kind of darkness you go into, like let's say you go into a dark room, there's what are the dimensions of the room? What are the, what are the, how is it shaped? Typically these days, rooms are square or rectangular, but they don't have to be. They've got different furniture, different features. As soon as the light comes in, the light illuminates everything that's yeah. there. The light doesn't stop the things being what they are, but the light adapts itself to all the different things that are there. It just covers everything, yeah. Right. So everything that's there um, is lit up. That's what Peter talks about when he talks about, I'm going to have to look up the reference now again, uh, writing years later. And it profoundly uh, changes the room, right? It yeah. transforms the room. He says, transfigures the room. He says, yeah. The, he says the prophetic message is like a lamp shining in a dark place. That's the message that he first experienced in, a, in this very unique way on that mountain with Jesus. Uh, and I think the other thing to remember, and I've, I've had to deal with this, I know you have, is we're often in over our heads. We often have to humbly say, I cannot, I cannot address the situation right now the way I'd love to. 
and we have to sometimes step back. As much as we'd love to help or be there for, for people in certain situations, sometimes we have to step back. And that's really hard, but it's, it's, I know you've had to do On that. On the other hand, can I have the last word? Go ahead. On the other hand, when we're around other lights, yeah, like in the church, we don't even we take we take the light for granted. We don't even realize that we have we carry right, light. Right, right, right. Unless we go to a dark place, yeah, right. Uh, we don't really see the power of God, mm-hmm. the light penetrating the darkness. Yeah, I think I I had like a dream or like almost like a vision a few years ago about something mm. like that. It wasn't a dream. It was like a I don't know what an image, a prophetic word or something. Yeah. Um, through a, a friend of mine who was quite poor mm-hmm. um, and lived in a dark place. And I went to visit him. Remember? Yeah, I do know. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember. And I just had this, I had this image of like a lamp in a dark room. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's actually where, that's actually where the light makes the most difference, where you appreciate it the most yeah. and you see its power is in right. the darkness. You don't, right. if I lit a candle right now in this room, you would hardly notice it. It'd be like another light, the sun's shining outside. Sure. But if you went into a dark room and you lit that candle, whoosh, it transforms the whole room. Suddenly you're like, that's the light. Mm-hmm. Look what it did. It's, and that's, I mean, that's like Christ. That's like that's like the Christians taking Christ to a dark, to dark places in the world. Mm-hmm. And by dark places, I mean like people that people that don't know him, people that are living with all kinds of problems, all kinds of struggles. Maybe some of you listening. Um, the light of Christ makes the most difference in those those places. And and the the church needs to go there. That's what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Can't always stay with the right, the other lights. We have to go there, um, because otherwise we don't even realize what we have. Yeah, sound good. That's a good place to end, Sam, or Ram, as I was about to call you, Sambo. Thank you. <laughs> How about I pray? Why are you so weird about that all of a sudden? What weird? Nothing. Rando. I said Sambo. What about Rambo? And you were just like, oh, I was just being stupid. Oh, well, that's not hard for you, I guess. Why not Rambo? Sambo and Rambo. No. All right. Uh, that's funny. What? That's, that should be the nickname for my friend. Rambo? He calls me Sambo. I should call him Rambo. Try it out. I love it. They rhyme. Sambo and Rambo. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share that with him next time I see him. Okay. Okay. A little light brought into the darkness. Mm. You brought a little light into my life today, Charles. I feel a little embarrassed but happy overall. Why are you embarrassed? I'm remembering this stupid 70s song. You, no, not that one. You light up my life. You give me hope to carry on. You brighten my days and fill my night with song. I'll stop now. Who is it? Is it Debbie Boone maybe? If you heard of Pat Boone, he was a famous crooner of the previous era. I think it was Debbie Boone. Debbie Boone. You're a little young for this stuff. Of all the unfortunate names. Let us pray. (laughs) I think we're a little tired. I'm a little tired. I'm not tired. I'm just getting warmed up. Okay. Lots more trouble to cause today. All right. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. God, our loving Father, you have invited us into your divine presence through your Son, Jesus. You've allowed your light to shine into our lives and our hearts. It's overwhelming. And we thank you and praise you that you have chosen us to draw close to you. And that that applies to everyone who may be watching or listening. We're all invited. But especially for those of us who have glimpsed your light through your son, Jesus Christ. 
I pray that we will have hearts that, like the heart of Jesus, comes down from the mountain and goes into the dark places, that we will understand the power and the majesty and beauty of your light is brightest and greatest when it overcomes the darkness in the world. That is why you sent us your son, Jesus. And we thank you, Jesus, for you have become one of us and you have allowed your divine nature to be shared with us so that we can draw close to you and to your Father. Help us to have a heart like yours for all those who are in dark places today. In your, in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I think it was Debbie Boone. We'll have to look that up. Maybe we'll tell you next week. Take care, everybody. Bye. Have a great week. Great weekend. Transfigure.